0: One of the joys of gathering week in and week out is to listen to God's people greet one another with generosity and honesty and kindness, and it's wonderful to pass Christ's peace amongst each other. Well, as you have known and seen today, uh, we are celebrating Advent, and we live in the Advental period. Right? um, Christ has come, and Christ will come, and we live between the first and the second coming. We have experienced what uh, Brian's leadership has afforded us this morning as working through that storyline of the Advent and listening to Pastor Garrison's prayer and praying that as well, longing for the second coming of Christ. This message here you'll find in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. 46 through 56 in Luke chapter 1. And you'll sense this tension in Mary and Elizabeth and the characters in the first century in the storyline that we're about to read. You'll sense this long-awaited Messiah who has come and will come. And so what we want to do is we want to proclaim this message for us at the first part of Advent, and then just let that linger into our hearts and minds throughout the week, and we'll get other installments on the Advent as we move through the month of December. To condense this message into one sentence... It could go something like this, that the gospel, this whole message is essentially about the gospel. The gospel awakens our soul, causing our soul to have a magnifying song over the miracle son. So in that sentence, you hear the message naturally go into two parts. One is the magnifying song, and we'll take a look at the gospel and what it does. And then we'll shift over to the miracle sun, and we'll notice what the gospel is. And our hope is, as we pray and ponder and preach in such a way, that by His Word and Spirit, those will fuse together into our hearts, that it will produce this magnifying song over the miracle sun today tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. This is found in Luke chapter 1. So if you'd stand with me and hear God's voice to us this morning, found in Scripture, found in Luke chapter 1. Picking up in verse 46, hear God's word. And Mary said, of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In this passage, 11 verses, we can conclude that the gospel, the gospel creates, awakens and creates a magnifying song, and this magnifying song hovers over and centers upon the miracle son. And my premise this morning is simply this, that if we will listen to Mary's song, I mean really listen to Mary's song. And then sing with Mary all the days of our lives. We will grow to see and savor the seed of the woman. I'm not exalting Mary. As you can tell in this passage, Mary longs for God, her Savior. There's nothing about Mary that elicits this favor like as though she wasn't in need of mercy. We heard a lot of mercy in this passage. She concludes that God is her Savior. She needs to be rescued. She is a sinner just like you and just like me. But Mary has been chosen by God and favored by God because Mary was chosen by God and favored by God to bring forth the seed of the woman namely Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if we listen to Mary's song today and actually begin to sing it in our own way all the days of our lives, we will grow to see and savor the seed of the woman. So to do that, we're going to look at what the gospel does initially. And in this piece here, we're going to see activities of the gospel. There are four activities the gospel. We can pick it up in verse 46. And the first activity of the gospel that we can notice here is it comes. The gospel comes. Yes, the gospel is a set of facts. Yes, the gospel is propositional truth. We can see it. We can read it. We can understand it and follow it. It has a subject, it has a verb, it has an object. It is propositional truth. It's a set of facts, but it is so much more than mere facts. The gospel is dynamic. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is sent. The gospel comes. The gospel arrives. We see that as we back up a little bit into the story You can pick it up in verse 26, and it says in chapter 1, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. You see, the message given by God to Gabriel was then sent, and it went into this podunk town to an unnamed, unknown, unimportant girl named Mary. She didn't ask for it, but it came. It's dynamic. It's not static. And it arrived, and it announced something to her. The first observation that I want us to make about what the gospel does, is it comes. Comes by hearing. If we read on into the story, we'll see that this gospel that comes can actually trouble people. Mary is very troubled at the news, and she stays there, and she presses in, and she has enough faith to say, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. And she went to Elizabeth, who spoke, the prophetic word over her even more. She heard more gospel. Gospel's coming at her, and it comes by hearing, and she was strengthened in her faith. The first observation is this gospel is not merely on a page. It is powerful. It is dynamic, and it comes. The second observation that we can make here concerning what the gospel does is it moves the soul. The gospel does educate our brains. It does come with history and facts and information, things that we must understand and must pry into and query about. But the gospel is infinitely more than just for the brain, just for education. Notice what it happens with Mary. It says in verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I think verse 45 is the spark that ignites a flame in Mary's heart that gives rise to this song that magnifies that we're looking at here. You see, the the gospel actually comes, but it doesn't just come into a setting like a school where we're just taking notes and we're getting facts down and we try to remember those facts for a certain test or something. Rather, it penetrated Mary to the point deep in her soul to where her soul begins to move. And it moves. Who moves her life. Do you see what she does right after that happens? It says that she goes in haste to find someone. Someone that could actually somewhat identify with her and understand her and actually not condemn her, but embrace her. She didn't go to mom. Can you imagine Mary at 15 years old going to mom and say, Mom, you're never going to guess what just happened. I, I, I'm a virgin, but, but you, you'll never guess what just happened. That's not going to fly. Oh, I know. I'll go to dad. Dad will understand. Hardly... I'll go to my friends in this small village. There's condemnation all over this place. And when we read the gospel, we see that they still condemn her when Jesus is grown and going. No, no, she goes to a relative, an older relative named Elizabeth, who was old and barren. And now she's housing a miracle child as well. Not virgin birth, but this is really unique, having an old womb now Having a baby in there. And so she runs in haste. The soul is animated. The soul moves the body and she goes in haste. Just like if you read in chapter 2 when the, the glory and the angels all came down on the shepherds. And what did they do? Let's go in haste to see what's going on. The second observation that we can make here about what the gospel does to a human being is it comes And then it moves the soul, it goes deep into the soul, and it animates and invigorates the soul unto action. But it also loosens the lips. And I want us to make another observation in verses 46 and 47. That it comes, it moves the heart, it moves the soul, and then it manifests, this is the third observation, in song. Most of your Bibles will show you that the genre changes a bit here. It goes from narrative now into poetry, and then it comes back into narrative. Do you see that? It's a typeset, and the the, um, uh, people who have put together the English Bible here are trying to get across that there's a shift going on here. And that's why this is called Mary's song, or a hymn from Mary. It manifests in song. This movement deep in the soul is a a miracle joy. It's deep. It's seated in in the heart. And then it comes out, and she's rejoicing. And she's singing, so to speak, over the object of her great joy. It manifests in song. But I want us to notice one other thing about this. That this miracle joy hates being alone. It it hates solitary confinement. It must go public. This this joy is gregarious. This joy is sociable. This joy has got to get around people, and it's got to disburden this joy onto another person who would understand and appreciate. That's what joy does, right? Joy does not keep quiet. It erupts in this melody, this song for others to see. But there's something so unique about this song. It hovers over someone. And it magnifies someone. Do you see that in the first two verses? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The fourth observation concerning the gospel and what it does, is seen in that it magnifies the Savior. Now, what does that mean? Magnifies the Savior. Makes great the Lord. The Lord doesn't need any help being great, right? But this magnifies and manifests His greatness. Now, how does that work? Well, I was thinking about perhaps an illustration that might illumine uh, this, this verse and this idea that a soul that is deeply stirred in awe and sheer wonder that gives rise to a song that magnifies a particular object, namely the Lord, mainly her Savior. In August 21 of 2017, something happened. All of you will remember when I continue the the illustration. The newspapers read something to the effect of, this is nature's um, most brilliant, and then they called it awe-inspiring event. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. Well, I was at church, and it was about 1 p.m. or so, and I was leaving church, and I was going to make a visit, and I passed the the park on to my right, and there was a large group of people that seemed really animated out there, and there was this little tent, and I thought, I know what they're doing, and so I pulled in, and I I stopped, I got out, and I invited myself into the party, and I introduced myself, and I said, hey, can I I join the party with you? And they said, certainly, for we have these, these telescopes that are so powerful, and they have this filter on it so that we can watch the eclipse of the sun in all its brilliance. I <laughs> said, I can hardly wait. Can, can, can I put my, my eye right on there and look? Do you know what happened? Two things. I was watching this play out. One group would look in and then completely start getting animated as they're looking at this ball of Brilliance, this, this massive glory called the sun, 93 million miles away. They tell me that it is more than 99.5% of the mass of our solar system, wrapped up in one star. And we enjoy the star, right? It illumines things we really enjoy, and it brings some heat and, 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 and light, and we enjoy it. But it's so, so far out there, and we, we can't really look at it or see it. So we, it's just now we get this magnification, this telescope, and it brings something that appears to be so small and so out of daily life that it gets unnoticed, and it brings it up close so my eyeball could almost touch the sun with these filters. Well, I just went crazy. I started getting very excited, very animated. I, I told some people that this is creation. It's all about the Lord. This is incredible. And others were going, "Yeah." And others were going, "I don't know about that." But there's there's another group that just looked, and they saw something of awe, and they just stepped back, and just a simple, soft, almost whisper, "Wow." I don't know what your personality is like. It could be very extroverted, very animated with a lot of alacrity and and whatnot. Or it could be more soft-spoken, more introverted. But when your eyes meet glory, your heart dances and it will express itself through how God has made you. This is magnification. This glorifies the object of our affections. This is what the magnifying song over the miracle son is all about. And when our pleasure goes public, people around us will know our treasure. Mary treasures the long-awaited Messiah. And it bursts out in this magnifying song That we're looking at. Those are the four activities that I wanted us to look at. The gospel, what does it do? It comes, it moves deep in the soul. It doesn't merely educate, but it illumines the soul, gives rise to that animated expression of joy, and then it centers upon the object of affection, namely the Savior. Now, to shift to the second part, we have to look at well, if that's what the gospel does, then what is it? What is the gospel? And we want to look at three characteristics and then close the message with a person. In verse 48, you'll see the word for. Do you see it? It's not on my forehead. Do you see it there? That tells you this is the basis or the ground on which she has this incredible song that magnifies the Savior. This is what the gospel does. And the first thing that we want to notice here is the gospel, what is it? It is good news. It's not about Mary, it's not about you, it's not about me This is good news. This is a news flash. It's a news flash that came from Gabriel. It's a news flash that came from Elizabeth. It's a news flash that came from Dr. Luke who penned this down, and it's going out. It's called the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news about what God has done a long, long time ago. And you can look at it in, in your Bible. In Genesis 3, 15, there was a promise. After this glorious manifestation of God and His glory, this creation, singing and sparkling with His beauty, went into sin because of Adam and Eve. And then there's this promise that says, the seed of the woman is coming, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of of Satan that's what it says and so Eve is longing for this coming of the seed is it Abel Cain killed Abel it's not Abel and it's certainly not Cain she gets pregnant again and if you read the storyline it's almost like she goes this is the appointed one Seth he's here He's the one who's going to usher in all peace and glory and beauty and obliterate all the evil and nasty and ugliness of this world. No, but through Seth, through the lineage, here comes the seed. It's good news that has come onto the scene and it's a a news flash, an extra extra read all about it it 's here it 's here that 's the gospel it 's a proclamation it 's a declaration of what has occurred and what about that is so exciting? Mary knew that the long awaited Messiah was coming, but she didn 't know when at this point in the storyline, this point in history, this is about three thousand years of <sighs> Waiting and waiting. And you see God's fidelity. You see God's promise. Protecting the seed. Down through the ages. And, and, and through Abraham's sins. And, and, and up into protecting it from the Canaanites. And the Hittites. And the Gergesites And all those ites that are coming after the seed. And then Hardness of Pharaoh can't touch the seed. And and the giant Goliath cannot touch the seed. And the depravity of the judges cannot touch the seed. And the insanity of Saul and the sin of David and the foolishness of Solomon cannot touch the seed. It's preserved and it's going through the lineage. Babylonian captivity cannot touch the seed. And the horrors of Herod the Great will not expunge the seed. The seed is coming. And it is good news because the seed has arrived. And Mary knows it and expresses it in the gospel, in this song. And as we look through this song, I encourage you to do so today and just slowly ponder the praises of Mary. You will see that, number two, it is about... God's character. So you see this great reversal, right, in this song when we read it? The high and mighty and lofty, the self important people who do not care about the seed coming, they don't even believe that. They have self taught, self made, they've arrived, they are brought low. Judgment falls upon them. Eternal judgment happens upon them. And then the low, the marginalized, the meek, the broken, the utterly dependent, the I hope in you, God, please come and deliver me, are now exalted. That's the great reversal. And this happens by God who is both, and you can read it here, mighty and merciful. And it blends together. Do you see that? He takes his mighty arm that shatters the proud and scatters them all over the place. And he takes that mighty arm and he rescues the humble and meek and marginalized and the unimportant and the nobodies of this world as they put hope and faith in him. I personally think that Mary, who is very theological, has a couple passages in her mind, one of which is Isaiah 40. And it reads in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd, and He will gather the lambs in His arms, and will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those who have young. I so wish that I had this massive arm that I could show you. God's mighty arm. Colin, come on up and just show him your arm. Just this massive arm then comes down and sweetly touches the little ones like us. And, and gently pulls little ones like us unto him and holds to the, the bosom and leads gently. That's just phenomenal that the omnipotence of God can touch a human being in such a caressing, caring way that we just meld deep into his bosom. That is gospel proclamation. That is found in this song. And then, I only have a couple commentaries on, on Luke. None of them even remotely talked about verse 56. It's almost like 56 isn't there. It's there. Look at that. It's there. Verse 56. It breaks the type of literature from the song, and now it goes back into the narrative. But this is the third and final thing that I want us to look at. What the gospel is, is good news. It's about God and His mercy and His majesty and faithfulness. But then verse 56, we read, And Mary remained with her. That's Elizabeth about three months, and returned to her home. I've never been good with math. (laughs) But six, did you just laugh at me, Evie? Six plus three equals, come on, ladies, help me. Thank you. So Mary, in verse 36, we see that she went to... Verse 26, no, excuse me, 35, that she went to see her relative. In verse 36, it says, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And so she goes in haste, and she's with Elizabeth, who understands, because now she's a prophetess. She she proclaims the truth about what God is doing. The long-awaited Messiah has come, and it's going to overshadow her. She's going to be pregnant. She's going to house and carry the eternal son of God to full term and then give birth to a son and name him Jesus. God saves. That's what his name means. And so she knows this. So she goes and runs out there the sixth month. Now we have girl talk. She remained with her for about three months. I'm sure she got up and she did some chores and did some things, but she was with her relative. And girl talk is about babies. But these girls, yes, they're, they're giggly and excited about the little boys coming into this world, but they are steeped in theology. Elizabeth and Mary, they know the Old Testament well. They've had direct revelation upon them. They know things. Guess what they're talking about? Tell me. So she stays there three months talking about someone, talking about who he's going to be and what he's going to do. and he's, he's here. He's here. We've waited 3,000 years. And he's here. And he's going to grow up a sinless life. And he's going to go out and proclaim the kingdom. And he's going to rescue us somehow, some way through a sacrifice somehow, some way. And, and they're talking over and over for three months. Then she went home. I cannot believe that she wasn't there for the Delivery of John, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? This is nine months. There's John. They celebrate. And then Elizabeth says, Now, we're okay. I'll raise him well. Go home. You've got to get ready for the next act in redemptive history. And off she goes. The third and final observation of what the gospel is, is this. You can see it all over the Bible, wherever you're reading. He pops up everywhere in the Old Testament, and he is shown forth clearly in this passage and in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. What is this all about? When our hearts are touched and moved by the gospel in such a way that we are born from above, and we understand and appreciate all of God's inestimable value and gift formed in a person, namely the second member of the Trinity, Trinity, namely Jesus Christ our Lord, our hearts turn from sin, our hearts placed on Jesus, and we get animated. And that magnifies Jesus Christ. And the gospel is all about magnifying the supreme worth of Jesus Christ And providing us with all the gladness that overflows in this song. That is Mary's song. The magnifying song over the miracle son. And I ask you, as I continue to ask myself, first of all, do you know Him? I don't mean know about Him. Cultural Christianity, though it's dimming in our culture, it's still here, and you can be a cultural Christian in this cultural Christianity kind of thing. You know this story. Most of you are not amazed at this story, but maybe that's the problem. Cultural Christianity gets some of the message, some of the details accurate and right, But it does nothing on the heart. We just sing it in the malls and that's it. But conversion Christianity, where it sends forth the gospel and touches our heart in such a way that it animates our lives and it creates this certainty over the gospel. Do you know the Christ like that? I pray that you will ask the Lord for much grace for that. And those, the rest of you, may this Advental period, the time we are here on earth, and this celebration of Advent in December, that it will resuscitate and will renew your heart in such a way that you will manifest that song over Jesus Christ from this day forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Holy Father, I want to thank you for The Bible, I want to thank you for sending forth your Spirit that we can now be illumined to the storyline, that we can enter into the storyline and we can begin to see in such a way that it transforms our lives. And what are we seeing? You sent forth your Son, Jesus. We thank you much for our Savior. Oh, in Him we find pleasures forevermore. In Him we find redemption fully, favor finally. I love you for this truth. I pray that this truth will be matchless deep in our hearts as we celebrate the Lord's table, as we celebrate the coming of Christ throughout Christmas time. And all of God's people said, Amen.